If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax must update rewards. And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. News of Russia's major military attack on neighbouring Ukraine has sent shockwaves around the world this week. But can we trace the origins of the invasion back to the fractures and divisions of the Second World War? and to the decisions made in the years that followed. Our deputy editor, Matt Elton, spoke to the historian Keith Lowe to find out his thoughts on these historical parallels. Keith is about to embark on a five-part virtual masterclass all about the aftermath of the Second World War, from the triumphs and trauma felt in Europe to devastation and unrest in Asia. That begins on our website, historyextra.com, tomorrow, the 4th of March. You can find out more and book tickets at historyextra.com forward slash masterclass. We're talking on the 1st of March, just under a week into the war in Ukraine. Um, On the 21st of February, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin gave a speech in which he set out his version of the centuries of history that he saw as leading to this moment. In your view... Where do his grievances originate from um, and to what extent can we trace their roots back to the immediate aftermath of the Second World War? It's very easy to to portray Ukrainian history in any way you want, really, because I mean, it's because it's very complicated. 
So the, the origins of this place we call now Ukraine, uh, it's not like a, a normal Western European nation state. It, it used to be all kinds of different sort of hodgepodge of, of different bits and bobs all joined together. And it changed so much over the centuries. Uh, at one point, it was part of Poland. Another part time, it was part of uh, you know, Lithuania. You've got it's always been split between different regions. So, you know, here's uh, the way he portrayed it as a kind of uh, as as this not really a proper state is he can make that case, but that doesn't mean that you know that we have to agree with it because obviously, since the there's all kinds of, of, of countries that are a bit like that. You know, Ukraine has been a, a proper state for a century now, really. So uh, trying to r- sort of row back on that and say it's not really proper and it's it's always been part of Russia is is uh, kind of monkeying around with um, the, the truth as we know it today, which Putin's very good about. As far as the Second World War comes in, well, Ukraine has had various sort of stabs at, uh, at, at trying to break away from from Russia or the Soviet Union, and the, the most recent one was probably it was in the before they actually got independence was during the Second World War when they uh, they, they they had a, a, a strong attempt at, at sort of forming a, a new state in the wake of the Second World War. There were all sorts of partisans fighting for independence and so on. Putin has has kind of called ukraine a, a fascist state which is uh it harks back to this moment when you know a lot of these partisans were born in during the war uh, by uh, sort of allying themselves with um the nazis and you know just collaborating with them so it's very easy to then say well anybody who tries to break away is is now allied with a sort of fascist partisans and and it characterizes all of the partisans as all being fascists. So, you know, again, there's there's a there's a selective choice of of events and and portraying that as the whole truth. So yeah, he's he's monkeyed around quite a bit with the truth in order to make his point. There's obviously also some shifting use of terminology going on here. Um, when we talk about partisans, what what do we mean when we say that in this context? There, there are partisans who are fighting against the Nazis. There are partisans who are fighting against the Soviets. There are communist partisans who are fighting as Ukrainians, but for the Soviets. Yeah, there's, so there's all sorts of different groups during the Second World War, uh, and they fight amongst each other as well. So there's a sort of civil war going on between them. And then also, you've got to remember, Ukraine during the Second World War is sort of split between... Polish areas, areas that used to be part of Poland, and areas which used to be part of the Soviet Union. So there's, there's now you've also got fights between Polish partisans and Ukrainian partisans. So it's all very complicated. Lots of different battles all going on between different groups. So uh, yeah, you're you're right <laughs> to, to draw out the distinction between different kinds of partisans there. There's obviously a lot of fractures here. Do you think it's right to see the current crisis as being the latest and most dangerous escalation of a series of tensions between Russia and Ukraine that dates back to the end of the Second World War? Well, I mean, it dates back to all kinds of things, but the Second World War is a major point in there. I mean, I mean, there's the the aftermath of the First World War as well, um, when again um, Ukraine was fighting for independence and they were fighting uh, uh, amongst themselves between. 
there were two different groups at one point. There was like the, the Western Ukrainian National Republic and there was the, the, the Ukrainian People's Republic who were fighting amongst each other. And, th- and then they unified, but they were simultaneously fighting against the Bolsheviks and also against the Polish army. So, so there's that. There's the end of the First World War is another moment where it, Ukraine is very ruptured. Second World War, it's sort of reproduced again, the same along the same sort of lines. And as a consequence, you, you do have these sort of, uh, you've got these different ethnic minorities all over the place who, who all have different claims to different sort of ideas of what Ukraine is or what Russia is. And, and that's where this comes from. So there's a, there is a, there's a, a, a Russian minority in Ukraine, as there are in lots of the former Soviet republics, who um, some of them are quite happy to carry on with Ukraine and others, are, they want to be part of the Russian homeland. So there, there, there's definitely, there's always been tension there. And, and we're seeing this play out again now. It's obviously a very complex and drawn out situation. Um, are there key moments or events in the Second World War that you think we particularly need to understand in order to make sense of today's crisis? I mean, the the, the major the major problem uh, in the in the aftermath of the war, and actually, when I say aftermath of the war, really, it's uh, from nineteen forty four onwards because the war the the front lines had moved beyond Ukraine at the end of nineteen forty four. But partisans are still fighting. So, you know, it's it's the, the fact that Ukrainians are trying to break away from Russia. I mean, even though it was called the Soviet Union in those days, it was generally felt to be Russia. Russia and the Soviet Union were, were, were sort of interchangeable terms almost, even um, at that time. So Putin kind of harks back to this uh, idea of Russian greatness. And when the Soviet Union was at its greatest extent in the aftermath of the Second World War, that's kind of the moment when Russia was was greatest. That's what he's harking back to. The idea of Ukrainians wanting to break away from that and, and want to separate themselves. You know, he, he likes the idea that, that um, Ukraine and Russia, are the, they're just one people. You know, They belong to the same group and they should all be one people under Russian control is the important thing. And the fact that You've got this breakaway nation that's never really quite accepted the fact that, that they're supposed to be Russian is incenses him and, and incenses Russian nationalists. Something else I'd like to talk to you about is the sort of shifts in population groups. We've talked a lot about the sort of splits across this region. Um, do you think that the shifts in population has led to today's fractures in terms of there being areas of Ukraine that feel more or less Russian? Well, yes. Uh, let's if we look at the beginning of the the Second World War, Ukraine was in a different place. I mean, they changed the borders afterwards, so there was large bits of Ukraine w- uh, before the war which were in Poland. When they changed the borders, those bits were now in Ukraine, and you know, th- th- there's a, w- always been a problem between the the, the Ukrainian. Um, ethnic group and the and the polish ethnic group so they had a sort of population exchange then they sent all the the poles uh, that were in the new ukraine over the border into poland and all the ukrainians who were in poland also got sent over the border but they weren't put in ukraine they didn't want these people because they were going to cause trouble the ukrainian nationalists so actually they moved them somewhere further east to keep them out of the way during this sort of partisan crisis where they're trying to break away, uh, they 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 round up populations who are troublesome uh, in Ukraine and again send them off to 
Kazakhstan or Siberia or anywhere out of the way to stop them causing trouble. So, so actually, Ukrainian populations were dotted all over the Soviet Union, not just in Ukraine. And the the other side of the coin is that Russians started moving in. There were always Russian populations there, but but um, but more Russians started moving in and and sort of recolonizing areas that had been sort of made free of Ukrainians. <laughs> And so that, that, that increased the Russian minority in the country. So that, that's kind of where the tensions are really, really begin. That the Ukrainians have been displaced from their homelands and Russians who've sort of taken over and are now in, in, they're an integral part of Ukraine. You can't, you can't just kick them out again unless you want to go back to that, that, that atmosphere from 1945. So you have to take these people seriously. They are, they, they are ethnic Russians and they feel Russian, but it is a problem. And it's a problem because it's being stoked up by nationalists on both sides, actually. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Putin is not Hitler. He's Putin. He's a bit more calculating, I think, uh, and cautious than Hitler ever was. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced by drawing parallels like that because they do... I, th- I think they draw us into making mistakes. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash history extra. Just go to indeed.com slash history extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest, whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. Are there any other aspects or episodes of the war and its aftermath that we should be aware of when thinking about the build up to today? Yes, there are. I want to think of Crimea for a minute because this is where it all started recently, isn't it? Uh, when when Putin moved into the Crimea and just annexed it. Crimea used to kind of be a part of Russia um, during and after the war, and they made sure again by by expelling the population of Crimea, who were mostly Tatars. They two hundred thousand of these people were, were removed in 1944, 1945. By Stalin because they were also troublemakers uh, and didn't want to be part of Russia. So anyway, so he established Crimea as a, a sort of Russian entity. But then during the 1950s, 
as a sort of, uh, you know, when things started to soften in the Soviet Union, Khrushchev actually gave Crimea to Ukraine and, and made it a part of the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. That wasn't a problem when you're in the USSR, whether it's moving from one to the other, because it's all the USSR anyway. It only becomes a problem after Ukraine gets independence, because Crimea is a is a strategically a very important part. So it's got controls the the whole of the north of the the Black Sea. So I imagine Putin had his eye on it for quite a long time, and uh, you know all 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 these sort of tensions between. Um, pro-Russians and anti-Russians in, in Ukraine, which you know bro- broke out in 2014 with the Euromaidan protests, gave him the opportunity to snatch that little bit of Ukraine back. I suppose the reason why the West didn't complain so much about that is because of the history, really. I mean, you could, stretching it, say that he sort of had a point and, and, and try and turn a blind eye. But the, the invasion that's happened just recently is of a whole different order. We, we can't turn a blind eye to that. There have been plenty of parallels drawn between the current crisis and the Second World War, and I wanted to get your take as a historian on how helpful you think they are. I mean, how useful is it, for instance, to compare the diplomatic efforts that happened in the lead-up to the current crisis to the European policy of appeasement towards Nazi Germany in the years before the Second World War? In M- Munich, I've seen the word Munich pop up on Twitter <laughs> so much in the last uh, in in the run up to that the crisis. Yes, in some ways there are parallels. I mean, uh, he he it, they, he was obviously going to invade anyway, and trying to appease him wasn't going to get anywhere. But you know, this is this is not 1938. This is this is 2022. It's a, a completely different state. Putin is not Hitler. He's Putin. He's a bit more calculating, I think, uh, and cautious than Hitler ever was. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced by drawing parallels like that because they do. I, th- I think they draw us into making mistakes. I think we should, we should take this crisis on its own merits rather than uh, trying to turn it into something it's not. Writing on Twitter, the academic Brendan McGeever made the point that, in many ways, including the extent of the existence of anti-Semitism, Ukraine is a very different place now than it was in the Second World War. Um, and that he's, as he put it, what seems fixed today can change tomorrow. Do you think it's still useful to point to the terrible things that happened during the conflict? Uh, do you think they actually do still hang over Russia and Western Europe? Well, well they hang over us in a sort of psychological way, but because we keep going on about them we keep going back to it so of course they're there i mean they're very strong stories and we're talking i mean there are people still alive who experience this um and there are certainly their children and grandchildren who have been affected by it on the other hand you know it is 75 80 years ago it's time to to move on and 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 look to the future rather than constantly looking over our shoulders at, at the horrible things that happened uh between 1939 and 1945 Ukraine has been dominating the headlines over the past few weeks in a way that I think it's fair to say probably is atypical. Um, how far is that previ- previous absence a reflection of our lack of understanding of the Second World War outside of the narratives of Dunkirk and D-Day? And do you think we should have paid more attention to those other narratives? Yes. I mean, I mean, we in recent years, we have started paying more attention than we d- did do historically. Um I mean, the the East is really where the Second World War was fought and won. I mean, we played our part, of course, in Italy and, and Normandy and and so on. But uh, the 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 battles that happened there were were t- 
tiny compared to the gigantic battles which happened on the on the Eastern Front. I, I, I think we sort of we we know it intellectually, but we don't really feel it, do we? We 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 still think of the Second World War as being the war that we fought, you know, in in the West, and that's that's to be expected because that's the bit that involved us, you know. But uh, if you take a, a a view of the whole of the war. Actually, all the big stuff was happening on on the Eastern Front, not not the West. Are there key episodes or moments of that, if you like, forgotten side of the war that you think people should be aware of, particularly now? I mean, we've got a, an idea of World War Two as this just gigantic conflict between the the Allies on one side and the Axis on the other, and and it's quite simple, just you know, one side and the other. But actually, there were lots of other things going on underneath that umbrella. So you had civil wars going on. You had all sorts of ethnic cleansing going on, most famously the Holocaust. But you know, there's also the Ukrainians and the Poles are, are, are massacring each other at various points. You've got a class war going on. I mean, uh, trying to take over Eastern Europe is is trying to create a communist society. So there's there's all sorts of things going on beneath the the more simplistic narrative that we all have in our head of it, it just being the axis versus the allies I, I, th- I think that's what we we need to remember that it's not just a simple thing there's lots going on underneath and similarly are there other parts of the world on which the second world war had a massive impact which we should probably pay more attention to than we have done previously oh well i mean in the in the far east absolutely um i mean the 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 enmity between china and japan and indeed uh, south korea and japan in, in, in certain ways is is very strong still today and is being stoked up all the time by the sa- exactly the same sort of tensions we've been talking about the same sort of nationalistic ideas of of sort of national victimhood and hurt uh, which is you know even after 75 80 years is still very strong in the national consciousness there we're still right in the middle of a volatile and escalating conflict. Is it possible, though, to look to history, to the Second World War Marshall Plan that happened after that conflict, for instance, to get an idea of what a post-war Russia and Ukraine might conceivably look like? Well, uh, yes, it is. And uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid to say that in some ways we kind of missed our chance in the 1990s, really. I mean, the, the end of the Cold War, when the Soviet Union dissolved, suddenly, you know, that was our opportunity to to do this uh, creators kind of Marshall Plan for Russia and and try and bring it into the Western fold a bit better than we did, and um, I mean there was there was investment and so on, but nothing on the sort of scale that we saw after World War Two. The country just fell into chaos, and it's it's the memory of that chaos that that kind of that got Putin into power in the first place and, and that he's been playing on ever since. You know, I can be the strong man and restore Russia to its greatness. If Russia had been, you know, brought into the fold more effectively, I, I mean, maybe I'm being idealistic here. Maybe it wasn't really possible, but uh, that was our moment, I think. When it comes to the end of this conflict, when it comes, if it comes, you know, maybe we can think again then, but uh, I, I don't, I don't think... We can really do business with Putin on that level. He's shown his, he's put his cards on the table now, hasn't he? So uh, unless he goes, I don't see how we can do a sort of Marshall Plan for Russia, really. But uh, yeah, Ukraine, maybe, if uh, if things cross fingers, get back to how they once were. 
For people who might not know, we talk about the Marshall Plan there. What what did that involve? And were there other, in inverted commas, good things that came out of the Second World War? The Marshall Plan, I mean, it was really a policy of containment of the Soviet Union. I mean, it was, it was keeping the Soviet Union at bay by providing uh, a, a good carrot for the rest of Europe to um, to to you know not allow the communists in by just pumping money into Western Europe. Really, um, rebuild it, you know, help to support democratic institutions, but also ha- do that through supporting the economy. L- huge amounts of American billions of, of dollars. Um, of American money was was put into Western Europe to help us rebuild. You, you could do the same sort of thing with <laughs> with the Ukraine uh, and and build them up, but it would be as a bulwark against Russia. And I, I'm not sure that Russia would be particularly happy about that. You know, that would be like recreating the Cold War again uh, with a with a hard border along the Ukraine's front lines. So the talk about there's been some sort of talk that. If you want to see it this way, a potential good thing about this might be that the Ukraine situation has led to that nation becoming closer to organisations like the EU and the UN, but that might cause problems of its own. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, it, it might be good for Ukraine to feel, they feel. I mean, after the 1990s, lots of Eastern Europe joined NATO and the EU precisely for this because they were afraid of Russia and, and so they wanted a, a, a security uh, Ukraine didn't didn't do that, didn't get the opportunity, and so now, kind of, you could say they're paying the price. If we were to then, you know, after after this has all happened, bring them into NATO and to the European Union, that would give Ukraine security, but I don't think it would necessarily give Europe as a whole security because it would really anger Russia. Uh, you you have to see it from their point of view. They're they're slightly paranoid as it is. So what what you know, <laughs> you'd be making them more more so wouldn't you, by, uh, by doing something like that? Your 2020 book, Prisoners of History, explores what monuments the Second World War tell us about that conflict and our attitudes to it. What does it tell us that Russia is still building victory monuments to a war that ended seven decades ago? Well, it's, it's, it's blatant nation building. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's stoking up national feelings and national sentiment, national uh, pride in what, uh, what Russia did. And and they're right to be proud of it. They did, you know, it was incredible what they did during the Second World War. Putin's just trying to do what we all do. There's nothing different between what he does and what you know. We we opened the Bomber Command Memorial uh, just only what six or seven years ago. That's the same sort of thing. We're we're proud of our past and we're trying to express that pride. The difference with, with Putin is is. is there, there have been monuments popping up all over the country uh, at a sort of rate of knots. And they're all huge. They're gigantic, these things. They're much bigger than anything we, we produce. So it's just a different way of doing the same thing that happens all over. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Finally, as a historian, are there any other thoughts about the current crisis that you'd like to leave listeners with? Uh, well, it's just the dangers of memory, I suppose, uh, and and I mean memory as opposed to history. H- history is is something where you look at the evidence and you look at uh, you know, documents and so on, and you you come to a sort of considered idea of what happened in the past, and um, it's sort of sort of cold and intellectual in some ways. Memory is not like that. Memory is much more emotional, and it could be you know it changes with time as well. It's not a fixed thing. Memory. And uh, it can be manipulated, and it has been being manipulated 
by especially by Putin, but we all do it. But he's really a past master at it. And he's been manipulating our memory of what happened during the Second World War in, in a direction which is dangerous, not only for us, but also for him and his own people. That was Keith Lowe. Tickets are still available for Keith's five-part virtual masterclass, The Aftermath of World War II, which will be running on our website from tomorrow, the 4th of March. Each session includes an introductory talk, discussion of a document picked by Keith, and an extensive Q&A offering you the chance to put your questions directly to one of the subject's leading experts. To find out more details and book tickets, visit historyextra.com forward slash masterclass. You can also find that link in this podcast's episode description. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.